These transmissions indicate some intelligent life. Let us move in for a closer look. Greetings. Good Sunday morning to you. Welcome to the Coffee with Jeff podcast. This is the show where I find a subject I would like to know more about, then write it into a hopefully entertaining story. This is episode 216, and today I have the legend of the death of Paul McCartney. Yes, there are people, even today, that believe the man died back in 1966 or 1967. They say he was replaced by a look-alike, and then the surviving three Beatles began leaving clues to what they had done. Why would they leave clues? Hmm, maybe we can find out together. So, is musician Paul McCartney dead? Let's find out in just a few seconds. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee on Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee and Coffee with Jeff. It was late in the day as the young bass player, singer, and songwriter for the world's most successful rock and roll band stepped out of EMI Studios and onto the street. Things that day hadn't gone well. Work on the new album, tentatively called Smile, had broken down into a lot of anger and squabbling, and Paul had had enough. The rain began to fall, and a chilly wind began to blow as he climbed into his Aston Martin. He was anxious to get home, smoke a joint, and relax. He was speeding down the M1 motorway when the wheels of his car began to lose their grip on the pavement. Frantically, Paul McCartney attempted to gain control, but it was too late. He had been driving too fast on this cold, wet road. The car spun wildly and flipped over. The next morning, his friend and fellow bandmate John looked at the wreckage and the body of his songwriting partner. Not only was this the end of a friendship, but also, possibly, the end of the greatest musical act the world had ever known. A few days later, John would wonder, does this have to be the end? Paul McCartney was part of the biggest rock and roll band in history. He was a singer, songwriter, and musician who wrote some of the most memorable songs in music. His career lasted for almost 60 years. The problem was, he died in 1966, or at least that's what many believe. If this urban legend is true, such songs as Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, Yesterday, Blackbird, Hey Jude, Let It Be, Maybe I'm Amazed, Band on the Run, and many, many more had been written and sung by an imposter. Of course, the idea is crazy, isn't it? Yet, is it so crazy? I mean, in 1966, the Beatles were the biggest thing on earth. A lot of people would have had an interest in making sure that the band continued. The other three members, John, George, and Ringo, weren't at the point where they would have felt comfortable going solo. They needed the four, the cynical, outspoken John, the peaceful and sardonic George, and of course the goofy, down-to-earth Ringo, wouldn't have been the same without the cute, charmer Paul. They had only been around for less than four years as a worldwide phenomenon, and many would have thought it's way too early for the mania to end. Now, for the record, Paul McCartney is not dead. That's my opinion. However, whether Paul died or not isn't really the issue. 
What's more interesting is how the rumors of Paul McCartney's death grew to such a point that Paul McCartney had to address it. It seems to have all started in early 1967. It had been spread around that Paul was killed in a traffic accident while driving along the M1 motorway. The rumor began after McCartney's Mini Cooper, which had been customized in a way that made it totally recognizable as Paul's, had been seen smashed after an accident. It didn't take long for people to begin to wonder if Paul had been behind the wheel. That concern soon turned into a rumor that Paul had been killed. It was such a powerful report that the Beatles themselves thought they should address it. In the February 1967 issue of the Beatles' official fan club magazine, under Beatle News, there was a bit called False Rumor. Stories about the Beatles are always flying around Fleet Street. The 7th of January was very icy, with dangerous conditions on the M1 motorway linking London to the Midlands, and towards the end of the day, a rumor swept London that Paul McCartney had been killed in a car crash on the M1. But, of course, there is absolutely no truth in this at all, as the Beatles' press officer found out when he telephoned Paul's St. John's Woods home and was answered by Paul himself that he had been at home all day with his black Mini Cooper safely locked up in the garage. Now, I have read that contrary to this statement, the Mini Cooper was not locked up in Paul's garage, but had been junked after an accident. But I suppose this little white lie was added to help calm the nerves of millions of teen girls. Apparently, Paul's Mini Cooper had been in a bad accident, and we'll talk about that a little later. I've also read in multiple places that Paul addressed the rumor during a Beatles press conference held in May of 1967, but I've never actually found any evidence of this. And while there was probably a wave of panic among Beatle fans, the fear pretty much died away. But in 1969, the story resurfaced with the students at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. Again, I don't know how or why it came up, but I imagine someone somewhere heard these stories back in 67 and was thinking about it when they looked at the back of the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album and asked, why is Paul facing away from the camera while the other three are not? And then Magical Mystery Tour. Why is Paul wearing a black flower while the others are all wearing red? And then Abbey Road. Why isn't Paul wearing any shoes? And as time went on, he, along with his friends, began searching for more strange anomalies in Beatles songs. They began listening to the lyrics. I mean, what did John mean when he said, I've got a clue for you all. The walrus was Paul. And did someone just say, I buried Paul at the end of Strawberry Fields forever? I can only imagine that's how it began. But it did, and these so-called clues made their way to Drake University. Tim Harper, a writer for the campus newsletter, heard about them and wrote a piece on the subject. Appearing in the September 17, 1969 school newspaper, it was titled, Is Beatle Paul McCartney Dead? Tim wrote, Lately on campus, there's been much conjecturing on the present state of Beatle Paul McCartney. An amazing series of photos and lyrics on the group's albums point to the distinct possibility that Paul McCartney may indeed be insane, freaked out, or even dead. And he goes on to list the clues from the Beatles songs and album artwork. Some people have credited Tim as starting the rumor, but he didn't make any of it up. He was just reporting on what he was hearing around campus. 
In fact, he really didn't believe it, and he said later the story was meant as pure entertainment and cited his source as a friend by the name of D'Artagnan Brown. Brown said he had heard it from a group of musicians from the West Coast, but the report really took off. One person who took a considerable amount of concern about the story was a young student named Tom Zarsky. One afternoon on October 12, 1969, local disc jockey Russ Gibbs was doing a radio show on WKNR-FM in Detroit when Zarsky decided to call the station and see what they knew about McCartney. When he called, he was just hoping someone at the station could tell him what was going on. To his surprise, Russ Gibb put him on the air. Tom said, I want to rap with you about Paul McCartney being dead. What's this all about? Gibb knew nothing about it and thought, here we go again, just like the rumors of Bob Dylan being dead that had circulated after his motorcycle accident. In fact, over the years, he had heard rumors about almost every rock and roll star being dead. And at first he figured, this was just another one. I should have brushed the kid off, Gibbs later recalled. He said, play the record backwards, and I said, what? Zarsky asked Gibbs to play a song called Revolution 9 backwards. Revolution 9 is a track off the Beatles' White Album, and it's not so much a song but an avant-garde piece, a sound collage that paints a picture of a revolution using sound. During the piece, a voice is heard repeating over and over, number 9, number 9, number 9. When I spun it backwards, it said, Turn me on, dead man, turn me on, dead man. I freaked, Gibbs said. And then for about an hour or so, the Paul is Dead conversation continued as listener after listener called, pointing out to more evidence. The whole thing just exploded, Gibbs recalled. The phones were ringing off the hook. People were calling in with their own clues. It was nonstop. It was really a phenomenon. For a while, it seemed it might really be true. Fred Labor, a staff writer for the Michigan Daily, was listening. He wrote a piece with the headline, McCartney dead, new evidence brought to light. Readers were horrified when they read, Paul McCartney was killed in an automobile accident in early November 1966 after leaving EMI Studios, tired, sad, and dejected. The Beatles had been preparing their forthcoming album, tentatively titled Smile, when progress bogged down in intergroup hassles and bickering. Paul McCartney climbed into his Aston Martin, sped away into the rainy, chilly night, and was found dead four hours later, pinned under his car in a culvert with the top of his head sheared off. He was deader than a doornail. But one might ask, wasn't it Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys who were working on an album called Smile, a work that drove Brian Wilson away from the rest of the band? It seemed, according to Labor's article, that apparently... With the new Paul, the Beatles scrapped Smile and started another album called Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. Brian Wilson took the old Smile recordings and attempted to salvage it. Could the man that we know as Paul McCartney today be an imposter? We'll be right back in a minute with part two. How do you like the new threads? Tough! I didn't know you were a Beatle fan, Grandma! Why? I'm the leader of the pack, baby! <laughs> Diggy! The Beatles?! Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr! Oh. Real gear, aren't they? They're bottles with Beetle Beetle inside. What's Beetle Beetle? The new personality bath. It's a real swinger. Mild, wild Beetle Beetle. With 
with an out-of-this-world fragrance. I got a split. Here. Race to your supermarket for the new pink personality bath. Beetle Beetle in the new Paul and Ringo Beetle Bottles. Today is January 31st, 31st day of the year, and I've got a little flashback to some of the events that happened on this day in history. On this day in 1974, Impulse, an American horror thriller film starring William Shatner, was released. Bill plays a gigolo named Matt Stone who seduces lonely women and kills them for their money. Captain Kirk, how could you? In 1991, Shock 'em Dead, a comic horror film starring Stephen Quattro and Tracy Lords, was released. This is about a young man who sells his soul to be a rock star. On this day in 1967, John Lennon purchased a poster from an antique shop. It was a 19th century circus poster for Pablo Frank's Circus Royale. He would use this poster in writing Bean for the Benefit of Mr. Kite. Born on this day in 1921 was John Agar, the American film and television actor. John appeared in such films as Attack of the Puppet People, Women of the Prehistoric Planet, and The Mole People. Also born on this day in 1923 was Larry Buchanan, the film director, producer, and writer who made such classics as The Naked Witch, Attack of the Eye Creature, and Zoltar, The Thing from Venus. Other people born on this day were Eddie Cantor, Tallulah Bankhead, Jackie Robinson, Carol Channing, William Sylvester, Gene Simmons, Susan Plachette, and Jessica Walter. And one last thing before I go. In 1958, the first U.S. satellite, Explorer 1, was launched. This satellite discovered the Van Allen radiation belt and remained in orbit until 1970. And now let's get back to part two of the Paul is Dead story. So, Paul McCartney is dead, and the Beatles decided to carry on with an imposter. And stranger than that, they decided to leave clues as to what they were up to. But why? I mean, I can understand that they wouldn't want things to end with the Beatles, but how about the clues that appear in the songs and on album covers? Clues? Well, the article tells us the whole replacing Paul was sort of a John Lennon joke, and the clues were just a continuation of that joke. As it said in Labor's article, As John Lennon reportedly said, Paul always liked a good joke, and it seemed they considered the move an attempt to make the best out of a bad situation. As it will be seen shortly, however, the good joke soon took on terrifying proportions. Worse than that, according to the article, was Brian Epstein, the Beatles' manager, threatened to expose the whole thing, so he mysteriously died a short time later. Now that's taking a joke to a whole new level, don't you think? So a Paul McCartney look-alike contest was held in Scotland, and an orphan named William Campbell was picked. After a little plastic surgery and a mustache, no one would ever be able to tell the difference. Labor, however, tells us that voice print studies confirm that there is a difference in the voice timbers between the real Paul and the phony Paul. Oh, did I mention that George Harrison was the one who actually buried Paul? So what were these so-called clues? Well, let's start with Sgt. Pepper's. The cover gives it all away. A mysterious hand over the bass player's head. The hand behind the head is a symbol to mystics of death. And at the bottom are flowers arranged like a left-handed bass guitar. There's a patch on McCartney's shoulder that reads OPD, which stands for Officially Pronounced Dead. On the back cover, while the other three face forward, Paul has his back to the camera. 
And, of course, John Lennon wrote about a lucky man who made the grade. He blew his mind out in a car. He hadn't noticed that the lights had changed. On Magical Mystery Tour, during the craziness that happens at the end of Strawberry Fields Forever, John mumbles, I buried Paul. And on the cover of the album, the name Beatles is spelled out in stars. But if you hold them up to a mirror and see them backwards, it says 2317438, the phone number of a local mortuary. At the end of I Am the Walrus, a radio broadcast of King Lear is heard with the lines, Bury my body in O Timely Death. During the film Magical Mystery Tour, Paul is sitting at a desk in a military uniform. Resting on the desk is a sign that says, I was. During the I Am the Walrus sequence, Ringo's drumhead seems to have the words, Love the Three Beatles, printed on it. And during Your Mother Should Know, the other three wear red carnations, but Paul's is mysteriously black. On the White Album, there's the mysterious number nine played backwards, which we already discussed. On the Abbey Road cover, crossing the road, Paul is out of step with the other three Beatles, and his eyes are shut. John is dressed in white, like a priest. George in denim, like a gravedigger. Ringo in black, like an undertaker, and Paul is barefoot. And he has a cigarette, but it's in his right hand, and everybody knows that Paul is left-handed. And there's a Volkswagen Beetle car in the background that has the license plate LMW281F. Of course, LMW has to mean Linda McCartney weeps, and 28IF means that Paul would have been 28 if he had lived to the release of that album. And those are just the basics. Fans and believers have nitpicked and analyzed every image and song to catch every anomaly. There are dozens and dozens of clues left behind by the surviving three Beatles, letting us know what they had done. But now let's look at this logically. Let's start at the beginning. On January 7, 1967, Paul McCartney's Mini Cooper was involved in an accident on the M1 motorway outside London. However, the car was being driven by a Moroccan student named, and I hope I pronounced this right, Mohamed Haji, and Paul McCartney wasn't even present. In Fred Labor's article, he says the accident happened in early November 1966, but it seems Paul and his girlfriend Jane Asher were on holiday traveling through France and Kenya at the time. So what's up with Fred Labor's article? He had so many bizarre details of Paul McCartney's death. Fred Labor later admitted that he made a lot of that article up like saying that walrus is Greek for corpse, or that Paul was replaced by a Scottish orphan named William Campbell. It was just all figments of his imagination. He said he was originally going to call the orphan Glenn Campbell, after the country singer, but thought it would be too obvious. He said it was all a joke, and he was surprised as anyone once it took off. So I imagined this whole scenario and wrote it as a sort of quasi-news story with a lot of facts. Fred later said... And enough facts that were true to sort of keep pulling you along, and enough facts that weren't true that it would hopefully let you know that it was a joke, that it was satire. I knew it was funny and it would be sensational, but sensational in my own hometown. He was surprised and a bit scared when the article was picked up nationwide, and it was suddenly being talked about on all three U.S. television networks, and it was featured in Time and Life magazines. On November 30, 1969, American criminal defense attorney hosted a television special, a mock trial examining the clues of Paul McCartney's death. 
He was questioning witnesses and such. Apparently, when he met Fred Labor, Fred admitted to Bailey that he had made the whole thing up, and Bailey responded, Well, we have an hour of television to do. We're going to have to go along with this. But what about the other three Beatles? When John first heard about it, he called the Detroit radio station where it had all started and angrily said, This is the most stupid rumor I've ever heard. It sounds like the same guy that blew up my Christ remark, where the remark had been out for six months in England before anybody said anything about it. And this guy blew it up. When he was asked about playing songs backwards, John said, Sure, if you play anything backwards, you're going to hear different connotations. Because it's backwards. I have no idea what the Beatles records sound like backwards because I've never played them backwards. And as for addressing as a preacher at a funeral, he said, And they said I was wearing a white religious suit, you know. But I mean, does Humphrey Bogart wear a white religious suit? All I've got is a nice Humphrey Bogart suit, you know. What's religious about it? And they say that George was dressed as an undertaker. Rubbish. And Ringo was something, uh, you know, it's just insanity. But it's a great plug for Abbey Road. He also said, It's a lot of nonsense. Paul McCartney couldn't die without the world knowing it. The same as he couldn't get married without the world knowing it. It's impossible. You can't go on holiday without the world knowing it. It's just insanity. When a reporter from New York's WMCA interviewed Ringo, Ringo said, If people are going to believe it, they're going to believe it. I can only say it's not true. George Harrison said, The rumors are too stupid to bother denying. So what about Paul? Soon after the rumor was world news, Peter Brown, who was the Beatles' personal assistant, called him for a statement that he could give to the press. Paul McCartney used the Mark Twain line and said, Rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. And he went on to say, If the conclusion you reach is that I'm dead, you're wrong because I'm alive and living in Scotland. And his best line was, If I was dead, I'd be the last one to know. Life magazine put Paul, his wife Linda, and their daughter on the cover with the headline, The Case of the Missing Beetle. Paul is still with us. Yet I was reading comments on the Beatles Bible website, and I was surprised by how many people still believe the man that we know as Paul McCartney today is a fake. In fact, they call him Fall, F-A-U-L, as in fake Paul. They comment about how Fall's ears are different that he's taller, and that his eyes are now green, not brown as they had once been. You know, when I think about it, on Revolution 9, a voice is heard clearly saying number 9 over and over. Yes, when you play it backwards, it does sound like Turn Me On Dead Man, in sort of a distorted backwards way. It sounds clearly like a recording being played backwards. I'd like to see anybody try making a recording of a phrase that sounds like something forward and sounds intentionally like something else backwards. I don't think that could be done no matter how hard you tried. In the Life magazine article, Paul addressed a few of the other clues, like the OPD patch on Sgt. Pepper's that fans said stood for officially pronounced dead. It's all bloody stupid, Paul said. I picked up that OPD patch in Canada. It's a police badge. Perhaps it means Ontario Police Department or something. I was wearing a black flower because they ran out of red ones. It's John, not me, dressed in black on the cover and inside of Magical Mystery Tour. On Abbey Road, we were wearing our ordinary clothes. I was walking barefoot because it was a hot day. The Volkswagen just happened to be parked there. Paul seemed clearly annoyed by the whole thing. And I should say, if you look at the outtakes from the Abbey Road cover photo shoot... 
In some of them, Paul is wearing flip-flops. He just took them off at one point. Now, as for I Buried Paul, the line in Strawberry Fields, John Lennon said in his Playboy interview in 1980, I said cranberry sauce. That's all I said. Now, that might sound strange, but if you know John Lennon, John Lennon likes strange. Just listen to the song, I Am the Walrus. The thing is, if you go looking for evidence to prove something you believe in or want to believe in, you'll find that evidence. And once you go down that rabbit hole, every anomaly or coincidence becomes a clue. If you listen to a song backwards, you're going to hear what you want to hear. And once you hear it, you'll never unhear it. As far as playing records backwards, it ruins the albums. So because of this, sales of the Beatles' later albums skyrocketed. People were buying two or three copies at a time, knowing that they were going to destroy the albums, playing them backwards and trying to find hidden messages. So all in all, it worked out pretty well for the Beatles, except for Paul being annoyed by the constant badgering over whether he's the real Paul McCartney or just a fake. And look, if Paul was replaced by Billy Shears or William Campbell or whoever, the new Paul wrote some great tunes. I mean, The Long and Winding Road? Come on, that's classic. So what are the odds of finding not only a guy who looks like him, but can also play bass, guitar, and piano as well, knows the Beatles' complete history way back to when he first met John Lennon, and can sing beautifully just like the real Paul. All that would be amazing, but it turns out that this new guy can also write some classic songs. What a stroke of luck. A little bit before I go... You know, most Coffee with Jeff episodes I do deal with a lot of digging and research. I spend hours and hours trying to find and verify information. Other times I do a story like today's, ones that I already know a lot about and are simple to do. I did that this week because my day job has been keeping me so busy I didn't have a lot of extra time. But back to conspiracy theories. You know, the problem with conspiracy theories is the more you look into them, the larger the conspiracy would have to be to keep up the narrative. Let's look at the fake moon landing. The more you dig, the more you think about it, you realize that too many people would have to be involved for it to be true. Thousands, tens of thousands of people, including the Russians, would have to know about the fake moon landing and keep it a secret. The weight of the lie becomes too great to hold up. That's the same for Paul McCartney. He was one of the most famous musicians in the world. Could he really die without the world knowing? And what about all those songs he wrote after his death? Somebody had to write those songs. If not him, how about all those people who actually wrote them? Are they keeping it a secret? Are their families keeping it a secret? Are the publishers keeping it a secret? And what about his double? Surely somebody would know him and miss him now that he's gone. Either a lot of people are keeping this whole thing a secret, or Paul is still alive. And one more thing. After the Fab Four stopped touring in 1966, they took a few months apart before showing up at EMI Studios on December 20th, 1966, to begin working on what would become Sgt. Pepper. A reporter was waiting outside, and he interviewed each Beatle as they arrived. You can find the film on YouTube. Paul, to me, looks fine and healthy, so if he was replaced and had plastic surgery, he healed pretty well pretty quickly. Anyway, how about the ending credits?
you've been listening to Coffee with Jeff, a Zeus Brothers Entertainment podcast. I thank you for listening. You know, this show takes money to produce and to make available. And if you've got a few coins you can help donate to keep the show going, I'd really appreciate it. You can do so by contributing to my Patreon page. Just go to coffeewithjeff.com for more information. And tell your friends about the show, won't you? You can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. You can follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is Coffee with Jeff, all one word. And I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page that you're invited to join. You're encouraged to suggest stories using any of these platforms. And the links to all the sources I used to write today's episode are available at Transistor.fm's Coffee with Jeff page for this episode. You can find a link to it at the Coffee with Jeff website. I want to thank my wife of 36 years for being my wife of 36 years, David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo, Kelly Rickert for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme, and to all of you who listen to the show every week, thank you so much. And of course, a special shout out to all those that repost this on social media. You have a special place in my heart. Take care, remain healthy, and I'll be back in two weeks. Goodbye. Coffee with Jeff. I once knew a man who used to drink his coffee black. He once tried it with some cream, didn't like it, now he never looks back. Coffee with Jeff, coffee, coffee with Jeff, coffee with Jeff, coffee. Met a girl from Beantown Jeff was always hanging around She drank tea, but that was okay She was the dawn of Jeff's new day Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee more coffee with Jeff. Years go by and life's filled with change. Sometimes your plans get rearranged. He's seen it all and he's weathered it too. So Jeff wants to have some coffee with you. Coffee, coffee. 